Hello, welcome to Sink or Swim, podcast where two idiots discuss the good, the bad and the ugly of music in TV, film and gaming. Uh, I'm Jules uh, and with me is Prentice. Hello, that's me. Um, yeah, so... Bit of a weird emphasis on my name there. Yeah, I don't know. Because <laughs> I was trying to say... I was First time jitters, right? Yeah, I is the first one, as you as you'll no doubt know. But yeah, I thought we just discussed off air uh, whether or not to do surnames. And then I said mine. And then went to say Prentice Mitchell, which is a second name. And just thought, no, we're not doing that. Prentice? Yeah, yeah, because I was like... I was about to go Prentice Mitchell, but then I caught myself on Tiss. I had to sort of stop myself. I was like, Tiss? All right, okay. Uh, that that uh, indicative of things to come. Yeah, I don't, don't fit to get much better than here. Um, yeah, it's the big day. Yeah, first, first episode. First one that's going out. Yeah, yeah, it feels like a long time. And mm. in fact, you'll know how much it's a long time is because in the news section, which was coming up, it's literally going to be. Um, we're going to talk about um, Grammy and all the awards season news, and that's exactly what we talked about a year ago when we did the first version of this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll just give you a brief overview of what's going to happen. We're going to do a little bit of news, and then we're going to talk all things Wandavision. It's just come out. Uh, we can do. We're going to just talk all about the music and that. And yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I'm starting to. This is the right time to do uh, Wandavision because obviously it's been you know part of the zeitgeist, and we've been doing research and watching all the music stuff for. It because as as we'll say, if you don't know, there's it's highly stylized and we've been going through all of the really catching really catching music and it starts to drive me a little bit insane mm. so anyway um we'll get to that in due course but um yeah we should do some news and so Prentice you you've stayed away from the awards news because you're far less in- interested in all this kind of stuff than I am yeah yeah um so uh the Grammys were the Grammy Awards have been awarded a couple of uh oh, who, who cares but a few days ago um uh so things to pick out we kind of you know i know it's a podcast with music film but really we don't really want to get into all the nitty-gritty of the grammys because it's not we just want to get to sort of the interesting stuff so uh the thing first thing of note is that uh billy eilish won uh best original song for visual media for her bond theme no time to die oh wow is that the first time that someone's won like the award for that before the film's actually come out it must be. I was thinking exactly the same thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's going to be a common thing because, because a lot of this year for for, for the pandemic that must not be named, um, <laughs> a lot of the films and stuff has, have either just been released or have just been on streaming. So a lot of the stuff, like, later on there's a category that I wanted to talk about for Oscars, but I've seen none of the films, so we can't. Um, but, yeah, so I think so, yeah. I mean, the, the, the theme's been out, and I actually quite like it. Mm, um, yeah, I like it. I think, I think it's one of the strongest Craig ones. Probably my favourite since the Casino Royale theme, I think. Yeah, I'd agree um, with that. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, Skyfall is great, but a combination of kind of not being enamoured with like Adele's kind of... More, more more her songs than... Like, I think she's incredibly talented, but like, yeah, not really into her, her kind of start, like her songs and... Um, the Sam Smith one, I was more of more into than a lot of oh, other people. Oh, I, I I wasn't a big fan of it, but like a lot of people seemed to hate it. Whereas I was lukewarm on it. But yeah, I really think um, yeah, Chris Cornell's Casino Royale theme is, is probably still my favorite. And I think yeah, this the Billie Eilish one comes the closest for me to being as good as that. Yeah, I, I was initially skeptical because I was like, oh, I, no, I, I had a horror horror thought of them trying to look bad, a sort of version of bad guy for like the James Bond. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh dear. Um, but it's yeah. cropped up enough in enough other media to that, that no surprise me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, and this is like she actually gets to show her and her brother get to show like yeah, the, the, she's actually got some good pipes because a lot of the time in her mm. her music she doesn't actually get to show her pipes a lot because all kind of emo, whispery, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Joker, uh, the person who did the score, they the person who wrote the score, which. If there's any Norwegian oh, listeners, gosh, yeah. please please forgive me. I mean, me she's for this. she's awesome. Yeah, her name is Hilda, very difficult to pronounce. Hilda Gonditor. That that's appalling, but you can look it up. It's a person who did the Joker score. <laughs> Hilda Gonditor. Um, she won best score. Um, nice. she won best like uh, it's kind of like best the, the Grammys version of best score. Okay. I can't remember what the actual category is called, but yeah. Um, which. I think it's great because actually that's one of the few awards I think Joker did deserve to win. Yeah, one hundred percent. score. One it's, of the strongest elements I feel of that film. It's it's really excellent. Mm. But one thing that caused me to have, to, uh, I don't think it's a proper. 
a proper meltdown, but it was a little bit of like, a, oh, for God's sake. I feel like that film has been around and getting awards for yeah. like, like three years. Yeah, we saw that. When did that come out? It was 2019, right? 2019, yeah. So this... It must have appeared like literally a day or two too late to be considered for the well, 2021s, right? Well, that's what, that's what I thought. But then I looked and it won the Oscar for Best Score last year. So it's won a Grammy this year for the same piece of music that won an award last year. So God who the fuck happening. knows what's going on? Yeah. I don't get what's going on there. Um, but yeah, I did think that was a really good... But I'm sort of poisoned against that film now. So any any win of any category in that film, I'm like, fuck it. Yeah, you're listening <laughs> to two people who don't really like Joker very much. Um, <laughs> it's understandable. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's... Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it, it, not not as good as, as uh, I don't know, a, a lot of... Um, Joker acolytes would have you uh, have you believe it. <laughs> good is. phrase. That's a really good phrase. A lot of, lot of like Joker, Joker boys out, out there <laughs> the on the Joker streets. Boys. The Joker boys. See, would have you think it is, but yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it, 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 yeah, it's it's fine. It, it's it's a Scorsese film that's not as good as a Scorsese film. Basically, it's it's taxi. It's the king of comedy, but not as good. Yeah. If you want to watch a good version of the Joker, watch King of Comedy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, the the score for Joker is amazing. It's yeah, really haunting and beautiful and. Yeah, she really deserved that, I think. And it's it's also ushered in. I mean, this is technically not the score. I don't think this was Hilda. I think it was someone else, but I, I don't know who was involved. But they used um, Nat and Cole's Smile. Am I right? They it's, did it's in the trailer. Of, yeah, they it's, trailed up Smile. It's like it's it was like the featured song from the thing, and it's now ushered in a new wave of like there's a new film called Cruella that's come out. It's basically just it's it's ripping off the a the film, and then b they've used like a very similar idea of. Taking an old song and like making yeah. a trailer. Yeah, is, is it Connie Francis? Is it her? Is it one of her songs? Uh, oh, song who's, it? It's who's laughing now, right? Yeah, like Connie yeah. Francis. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, they've trailered up in exactly the same way. One thing that surprised me, I had to look this up afterwards. That um, Jojo Rabbit won uh, best compiled soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> right. Fuck knows what that actually means, <laughs> but um, which is weird because I don't remember that having a particularly the only the only memorable. Re- Two memorable bits of score um, soundtrack from that is the beginning, basically the beginning and the end. Uh, and the end's a little right, but the beginning is genius. It's uh, the German version of "I Want to Hold Your Hand." Oh yeah, I forgot and, about and that. And they sort of s- s- soft parody that the beginning of "Hard Day's Night," yes. where he like runs through the street and there's loads of like screaming girls and like fans, yeah. but like it's of Hitler instead of the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, that 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 bit is absolutely genius. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, no, that's that's an odd choice. Yeah, not not a terrible choice, but yeah, no, I I'd agree. Yeah, not probably the uh, not probably the go to for that category uh, that I'd expect. But yeah, uh, man, these fucking award category names are so dumb. Well, they they, they... T- tell me who who won uh, best sound from a musical instrument in a musical or comedy. Who who won that award? <laughs> who who won who won best five notes from a brass instrument? <laughs> Who who won best best trumpet solo in a in a horror film? Yeah, exactly. Like fucking hell. Yeah, they're, they're, so you are you you are convincing me slowly by the by the day that that these things are to be taken with less and less seriousness or or, or interest. Um, a couple of things. Um, move on to Oscars. Uh, two two sort of things that I want to pick out is that Trent Razor and Atticus Ross continue their utter domination of of sound scoring mm-hmm. um, of film scoring. Um, so they they are nominated twice in the same year, uh, once for the Pixar film Soul and once for, oh, yeah, cool. and once for the uh, film Mank, which is the mm-hmm. uh, Making a Citizen Kane film. They're only a Tony off an EGOT now. So uh, yeah, and then gonna rep the brothers here. Uh, Terence Blanchard has also been nominated for his um, The Five Bloods, I think. Um, okay, which also is an older film. Yeah. But, like, clearly cool. just being nominated for, for, for like that only must have missed the cutoff as you mentioned earlier mm. um, but yeah that he's he's really underrated I really he's he's kind of Spike Lee's where else has he done he's Spike Lee's in House Guy so he did Black Clansman which he was also okay. nominated for uh, for an Oscar for mm-hmm. and that score is actually I'll probably do that for the podcast because that is a fantastic score okay um, yeah, so he, I think I can't. I I'll can't go back and listen to some of those. I can't name you anything else off the top of my head that Terence has done, mm. but those two things alone are like top. And he's probably done some more Spike Lee stuff, I imagine. Yeah, that seems to be his major pay packet because mm. he's in house Spike. Spike's in house guy. Nice. 
Do you have anything? I mean, you used very much media and heavy lifting this week for the news, wasn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've seen a bit of interest. Um, the Snyder Cut leaked, which is quite funny. <laughs> mm. Typical. Yeah. yeah where, yeah. That, where that franchise and all that sort of creative team are at, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, um, the terrible, terrible superhero film... Well, I say terrible. Oh, completely average. Swinging. Go uh, not, not, swinging. Yeah, no, okay, that was <laughs> The completely average superhero film, Justice League, from 2017, uh, is being kind of re-cut with loads of new footage that's been shot and then kind of stuff that was left on the the cutting room floor by uh, Zack Snyder, who was the original director on that, before he stepped down and gave it to Joss Whedon, who turned out the 2017 version. Yeah, Snyder's gone back and he's uh, kind of redone, and and they've rebranded it Zack Snyder's Justice League, and it's it's one of the big selling points for the new HBO Max subscription service. But... um, yeah, oh, they dropped their uh, Looney Tunes, their new Tom and Jerry, sorry, their new Tom and Jerry film recently, and a uh, few people got some surprises in the first couple of hours of when that dropped. By uh, they started watching it and saw the first few hours of uh, yeah Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is quite funny. Um, heard a few bits and pieces, but you know I think uh, I don't think many people actually saw it, and I think they one of them got shut down in some way. I think his Twitter got either suspended or like YouTube or something. He, he put some information out there. But so, uh, something he tweeted has been left up saying basically that like everyone's going to love it. Apparently this is the first time that DC CGI has looked up there with Marvel CGI and stuff. So Ooh. he's, um, yeah, he was kind of singing the praises. But yeah, I thought that was, uh, thought that was pretty funny. Um, what else have we got? Uh, the original WandaVision plans came out for the final episode. I don't oh, know if you hear much about that. that. Oh, you, you go on that. I haven't heard much about Yeah, this. so there was just a few leaks about basically like the production of the last the last episode was quite rushed. They didn't have much time to finish it. And so there was quite a few ideas that were cut out. I think one of the big ones was um, the, two, the two children uh, fighting Mr. Scratchy, Agatha's bunny. Uh, and he would turn into like a demon of some sort and all that. Apparently they shot this scene, but they just didn't have time to finalise the CGI or anything. Okay. Um, and uh, hence why the kids got that probably terrible flash in the pan action scene where they freeze a load of soldiers and then the one with super speed takes his guns <laughs> Take, or takes their guns sorry um, probably explains why that finale is the way it is mm, yeah it was slightly rushed I feel there's there's a few bits and pieces here and there that yeah felt like a quick fix yeah it really did but yeah uh, early reactions to Falcon and the Winter Soldier are pretty positive I yeah. mean that's what you said. Absolutely nothing to go by. Early reactions of Batman v Superman were positive, so let's move on. Um, Disney Plus has re- uh, reached a massive subscriber milestone. They're due to overtake Netflix at some point relatively... Really? Relatively soon. Relatively soon, I mean within years. But it's still oh, right. pretty impressive considering they've yeah. been around for about a year and a half and Netflix have been around for about a decade. Wow, that's... Oh, that's, that's that's mad. Yeah, it's been a pretty rapid catch-up. Um, I, mean, I suppose not, that's what literally all the money in the world, world buys does. you. Yeah, Netflix... Are, well, basically, Disney have all the money. Netflix has no money. Yeah. So it's not a surprise. Netflix are basically... Well, they're beyond broke. They're actually in debt. So yeah. They make, and they're, and they're rich, they, they like Disney, like, a while ago. They When they were at their peak, they were doing a lot of original stuff. And now they don't do any... They, they occasionally do, but they're... I mean, they take down more original stuff than they they make now, Mm. so... Yeah. So, uh, this week on Sink or Swim, we're uh, we're doing WandaVision. Um, So, yeah, I guess to start it off, what do you think of the show overall is probably the... uh, in a general sense, or musically? Um, why not both? Let's 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 just start overall, with general ideas. Overall, uh, I I really liked it in its what it tried to do. The idea of it is really cool. Mm. I think that. Oh, by the way, spoilers for One Division. If you haven't seen it, please don't listen to it any further. I'm going to give you three seconds. One, two. So it was Agatha all along. <laughs> Don't, because I'll start humming it, and then it's going to be a nightmare <laughs> to edit. Um, so, yeah. Overall, John I'm... Krasinski is Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, overall, I really like the... Yeah, the the whole thing is it's based around... It's an homage to... Well, 75% of it is an homage to, like, classic American sitcoms. Mm-hmm. And I really like the way they... 
you know, they did all the like the music. It's as we'll get to the music was all th- like era appropriate. The costumes, all like the effects, everything mm-hmm. is really. Like, I thought that was excellent. Yeah. Narratively, though, I think it was a little muddled. And my personal, I, I finally came up with a good summing up of what I believe the show, where the show kind of is, okay. is that I feel like they had the idea for the homage for the for the sitcoms and then worked backwards. Yes. Which yeah. is why that bit works so brilliantly and then the rest of it mm. kind of feels rushed or disjointed. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you feel that the narrative suffered at the expense of the concept? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah. I mean, it's still decent, but by all means, this is still a decent show and I would recommend it. Good show. Yeah. Good, what, good show. What did I say? Decent. Oh, well, I meant good. Oh, okay, yeah, I yeah. Meant, I, meant, I meant decent. Yeah, like, def- definitely. It's, 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 I mean, it looks... Incredible for the, the most, spectacle for the alone. Most part. Yeah, for the yeah. Spectacle alone. It, it's one of the better offerings from Marvel. One hundred percent. It takes creative kind of liberties or, or, or kind of steps mm. that not much Marvel stuff has before. So on that kind of you know thing alone, yeah, definitely recommended. So yeah, I, that's that's. What about you? Sorry, I'm, I'm waffling on a little bit. But... Yeah, no. I, I mean, I, I sort of basically gave my feelings there when I sort of jumped in. Yeah, uh, uh, great show. Good, like really good stuff. Yeah, like you say, the kind of the homages and the music and kind of the everything that's done to serve the concept is excellent. Yeah, like the even even down to like the performances from Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen and all the rest yeah. of the supporting cast is is so like perfect to like those yeah those kind of classic sitcom styles and the right the dialogue the writing of the dialogue is 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 spot on. Uh, yeah, the co- set designs, costumes, spot on, music, spot on, like everything's great. And like as we saw from that documentary, they even went down to the minute level of using you know tungsten lights yeah, rather yeah, than LED lights incredible. to light the set because that was how it was done back then. They used uh, camera lenses from the fifties, sixties, seventies because they wanted it to look authentic to that era. And 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 you even the crew dressed up in era appropriate outfits when that they filmed was a bit the live much. episodes. <laughs> that was incredible. But it just and, and the audience, not even the crew, the audience all turned up in their fineries from the fifties and the sixties when they did those live audience episodes. So yeah, I mean it really all that stuff does go a long way and it, and it is really immersive and, and those first sort of four episodes really did feel quite exciting um, yeah, because you just didn't know where it was going um, and it was such a they really balanced the kind of the humour and like the marvelness with that kind of um, with that really unsettling kind of vibe yeah yeah it was sort of well, I think quite I think, Twin Peaksy. yeah which I really like I think X-Files it... Twin Peaks Millennium style kind of stuff not not to do a really horrible pleasant view i think is probably the best comparison yeah i haven't seen that but i take your word for it not to do a horrible horrible pun but it peaked for me in uh sort of episode three to sort of five maybe where they balanced they balanced the sort of brilliant genre sitcom stuff with the kind of weird off-kilter twin peak stuff sort of exfilesy kind of stuff yeah um when they still had loads of cards to play it was kind of like, I mean, I'm bad at poker, but it's like having a, you think, oh, oh who has a good hand? And then when they actually laid their cards out, it was kind of, they bust. It was all a bluff. Um, but I guess we should talk about uh, the music. And like the, I think the, I think the most iconic thing, iconic is probably a little strong, but the thing that I think people will remember, especially... Mm. It's the enduring legacy of WandaVision. I think will be... will be The music. The music, the themes they use so every, every episode. So... The, the show moves the first episode is set in the 50s and then it's, in, it's set in the 60s and the 70s and 80s and 90s and then 2000s and then it loses it drops that facade after episode 7 or whatever it is yeah um, but yeah they every every time they do like a, an introduction they do a theme sorry like but they ape a classic um, sitcom from that era so the first one is a brilliant parody of like the Dick Van Dyke show mm-hmm. and I Love Lucy yeah uh, I think I Love Lucy is probably the biggest touchstone they, they mentioned that a lot didn't they yeah and it's uh, it's really it's so the it's, theme's called a newlywed couple. Yeah. Um, oh, you should um, mention. We should mention all the themes were done by uh, Christian uh, and Robert. Uh, no, yeah, Bobby and Kristen. Oh, sorry. Bobby sorry. Lopez and his wife Kristen Anderson Lopez. Yeah, they did all of the uh, the theme songs for each episode. Um, so yeah, we should probably talk about them a bit because they're kind of key to this whole operation, obviously. Um, yeah. So Bobby Lopez, he is probably prior to his affiliation with Disney, probably best known for co-creating the Book of Mormon and Avenue Q, 
um, two musicals, comedy musicals, namely. Um, the Book of Mormon is in co-production with the South Park guys, right? Trey Parker and Matt Stone, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it's like a comedy musical, and, and he was one of the co-creators of that and did a lot of the music for that. And uh, Avenue Q is similar vibe. I'm not sure who else worked on it, but it's basically The Muppets for Adults. So it looks at kind of, I think it's set uh, kind of in like a kind of metropolitan city with a bunch of like young adult kind of professionals, but they're all played by Muppets. And they're dealing with things like mental health problems and, and stressful relationships and and, str- and struggling at work and, and career progression and, 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 you know, casual drug use and all that kind of stuff. And I, I listened to a little bit of the soundtrack and it's very funny. Um, but yeah, so that's that's probably what he's best known for. And his wife, Kristen Anderson Lopez, she co-created In Transit, which is a very, probably a very famous, I mean, I'm no expert on this, but um, it was an off-Broadway musical that ran for quite a while and it was and it was really successful and it eventually went on Broadway. Um, but yeah, so she's she co-created that, and then they both work together on Finding Nemo the musical. Is one of the early early that early Disney credits I found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then more kind of probably more well known for doing Coco, Frozen, and Frozen Two. They did a lot of the songs for. Obviously, Let It Go, probably one of the uh, biggest songs yeah. of the last decade. Oh yeah, penned by those two. So that gives oh. you an idea of the kind of prestige that their name carries in this world. Yeah, so yeah, they 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 did all the themes, and then the music, the score was done by someone called Christoph Beck. Yes, yep. Um, uh, brother of Chili Gonzalez. Is he? Yes, he is. Oh yeah. wow! I mean, that's uh, uh, actual like half brothers or no, no, no. I think he's his brother. Oh, so straight, straight up his brother. Very different names then. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure why that's the way it is, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I Which is quite interesting, bit, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, I like that. But yeah, um, Chili Gonzalez, amazing pianist, amazing uh, kind of neoclassical pianist. He's he didn't play it, did he? He's not like he's not credited. So. Don't think so, no. No. Um, but yeah, did you have a look into um, Christoph Beck's body of work by any chance? Uh, no. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so Christoph Beck, he has done compositions for Electra, the... Garfield, Garfield: A Tale of Two Kitties, <laughs> uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is a good one. Oh yeah. Uh, the Hangover, The Muppets, <laughs> two thousand eleven. Uh, Ant Man, Ant Man Two. Oh, I know, I know, he did the Ant Man films. Yeah, yeah Frozen yeah. and Frozen Two, okay, and so, yeah. a lot Perhaps. of crap. <laughs> a lot of it's, crap. It's not. He's not doing Oscar bait films, is he? No, I'm sorry, Christoph. You ever hear this? <laughs> but man, that is <laughs> there's some ropey stuff on there, my friend. But yeah, no, Ant Man. To be fair though, in his defence, Frozen and Frozen Two have both got really good scores, and I think Ant Man and Ant Man Two are both Ant Man One especially is probably one of the most underrated kind of scores. I think the score for Ant Man One is excellent. Probably one of the strongest scores in the MCU. Which one? One or two? Do you say? Ant Man one. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it's quite a good score actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we've got we've got Bobby and Kristen Lopez working on the, doing the main themes, and we've got Christoph Beck doing the score. So this is a very Marvel Disney kind of very oh, typical yeah. kind of people you'd expect think about that. to it's do real, this kind of stuff. It's a real Disney. It's a real Disney loving, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit dis Disney-cest. <laughs> Dis-cest. Oh, um, <laughs> but yeah, did you know? So uh, Bobby Lopez, he's the you know we were talking about awards earlier. Yeah, he's the youngest and quickest person to win an EGOT. At yeah, thirty nine, and he won them all in really rapid succession. He's he's the fastest to win an EGOT between getting the first award and getting the final one to complete it. Wow. He was the youngest at thirty nine years old, and he's the only person to have won an EGOT twice. I saw that's the big thing I saw from him. Yeah, double eagle man. Well, not not only did he win it twice, he was the youngest and he was the fastest to complete the first eagle as well. That's oh, and by the way, if you don't know, an eagle is uh, when you, as a composer, you win a. Emmy. Actually, no, actually, no, no, sorry. It's not just necessarily no, sorry, no. anyone can anyone, win. Anyone, anyone. But who... it's winning, winning an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Yeah. Um... Yeah, that's how, I mean, that just shows, like, his, I mean, you don't really need any more credentials than that, do you really? Just go on double E, got sign me up, son. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, I mean, the thing was, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm borderline going insane because I haven't been able to get any of the themes out. They're just on a revolve, on like a revolving disc in my head. Um, so, yeah, the first one is, like, really... Also, sorry, just, just to jump yeah. in quickly, but did you think that Bobby Lopez looked a bit like um, Mark Labette, you know, the beast from The Chase? That chaser, the chaser. Oh, I think that's him being a little unkind. He looks a bit like him. Do you know that guy married his cousin? It doesn't matter anyway. Let's let's go. Whoa! Just that in. Yeah. I mean, oh wow. Okay. I mean, I want to I want to talk about that further, but I don't know if that's <laughs> this is the time or place to do that. 
it will be incest podcast um yeah that, that's okay. a real theme coming through here um, yeah, so uh, the, the the first theme, I will go through all of them, I think, because they're all they're worthy of like their own dissection. If, if I, I think, well, I personally think they are. Uh, the first one is like very like fifties. It's very kind of um, idyllic, and there's lots of like woodwind and like yeah. strings, and it's like no, there's no strings, no strings. No oh, sorry, strings, there's no because strings. Yeah, they they didn't have their strings have kind of gone out of fashion in the fifties. So it's it's all woodwind and kind of like. Um, kind of high-end uh, sort of brass stuff, none of that low-end sort of bassy yeah. sort of brass. It's all, yeah, high-end brass and woodwind and kind of little little bits of uh, percussion and stuff like that, yeah. It's, it's kind of builds into, like, the idea it's kind of, it's sort of all sort of kitsch and, and farcical and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like that nu- the nuclear age. Yeah, The yeah. atomic age of, of kind of music and, and music that exists to serve kind of sitcoms and commercials. It's all fast and jaunty and kind of happy and light. There's, yeah... I, I always thought like w- with the score in general for the first for, for the first episode and and with the um, theme itself it's very much like it could be a silent film like it feels like it's it's almost soundtracking a silent film yeah yeah um, and it also the the the, the uh, theme has its own I think probably yeah probably the second best for me lyrics because it has like because as the time you know the theme songs always kind of describe what the show is. Mm-hmm. And it's got like, yeah, it has like, it talks about, you know, they're a newlywed couple and he's, he's an android and she's a witch or something like that. <laughs> and it, it, it like, so yeah, it's, um it, it's kind of, yeah, it, it's kind of a tongue in cheek thing because often in those shows, actually for the fifties, there are weird, farcical kind of unrealistic actual um premises. Yeah. Like I Love Lucy, I think is a witch or something. Oh no, she's not a witch. Bewi- Bewitched is not long after yeah, that. And she's yeah. a witch. And you're maybe thinking of I Dream of Genie as well. Yeah, yeah. Both of those weird things where you think, oh, this is a Marvel thing, but actually basically the same thing yeah. happens like in 60 sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Would you, uh, yeah, so that, I think generally in the score, uh, it's very much similar like vibes. So yeah, as I said, like the it's very kind of happy and sort of all, it's, it's all sort of like, it's very nice and mm. 50s family and very sort of, traditional and all the i think it's it's a very functional score for that first episode it's it, yeah. nothing particularly memorable yeah. um and and not even massively enjoyable for me like to listen to on its own but it really serves the tone in yeah. the actual episode itself yeah it, that is purely for tone i, I haven't really got much else to say about the score beyond oh, right. after that first episode i don't know if you no 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 move, move on to the 60s stuff which is episode Two? Yeah. Oh, is there is there a piece of is there some soundtrack in the first episode or is that in episode two that they first uh, used the soundtrack? I don't. Because the earliest the earliest piece of soundtrack I've got is um, Yak to Yak by the Coasters. See, that could be. 50s. I think that's the fifties one because that's a doo wop song, isn't it? Yeah. So I think that was in the first episode. I have no idea where that was. Though. One of the most horrendously sexist pieces of music I've listened to oh, really? for a long well, time. I, I didn't really listen to it. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Is it's it? a little I mean... bit a little bit in the same vein as um Rabbit by uh bloody what's their names? What, what oh Chaz and Dave. Chaz and Dave. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah I mean it's a bit like that. It's um I mean if you're talking fifties I mean, it's probably a bit accurate to be honest. Yeah but it's yeah so it's called it's called Yakety Yaks, I think oh, you can tell. I get, yeah I get the vibe it's, yeah yeah, yeah. It's, women go yakety yeah it, it, it's basically him saying like stop getting on my back or like I won't give you any money I won't let you out on a Friday night like it's it's pretty it's pretty it's a, quite a grim yeah it's horrendously sexist those lyrics which is quite interesting as well because like they didn't they didn't do that like obviously it's very all the Wonder Vision stuff is very accurate but they didn't go as far as to make like Paul Bettany a monster yeah yeah like they yeah. didn't make him like a 50s patriarch because yeah think that would have called for vision to be cancelled yeah comes home from work and his dinner's not on the table yeah mind gems the entire house apart <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> beams the car into oblivion yeah oh, god uh, that's the quite funny though a lot, a lot of this is the whole idea is all these are idealized as well so but um you should talk, probably just talk about the 60s one because you really like the 60s thing yeah, so um, this one's a little bit more difficult for me to do because for some reason episode two is the oh, only sorry, one missing off that. of Apple Music. Um, oh yeah, actually I'm I'm have to do heavy lifting because you don't have any notes for this episode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I mean I can talk about how uh, in that episode "Help Me Ronda" is featured, right? Oh, by the Beach yeah. Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, which is a quite a <laughs> quite a funny because it's not really relevant apart from the fact that Ronda sounds like Wanda. But no, I, what I liked about it actually is that it very much feels like. 
um, a key thing in the show is that she builds this thing called a hex around her, which she uses her like magic to create this kind of bubble where she's kind of isolated from the outside world and she created this weird sitcom universe in this bubble. Yeah. And anything from the outside world that goes through is kind of edited so it feel, fits in with the world. Mm-hmm. And we find out later that uh, someone's trying to contact her through a radio, um, but she tunes it out and she changes it. So my, my idea is that subconsciously she's heard someone say, Wanda, Wanda, please help us. And, and she's changed it to help me, Wanda, because yeah. it's like it's like something that comes to mind quickly because it's a Beach Boys song in the 60s. But I, and I, yeah, so I thought that was quite fun. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm being a little bit harsh. But it is, it is fun, yeah, definitely. It's a great use of it. Oh, one thing, um, another couple of bits to mention is that in every episode they have an advert, like a fake advert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they use some interesting stuff. Like in the 60s, I think, um, was, they do an advert for something called Strucker. And I, oh, the ring. It's the ring. It's like a signet ring, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that, um, really like smooth, sexy jazz on that. Yeah. It's really smooth, sexy jazz, which I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was... Uh, yeah, I thought it was like a weird, weird change of pace. It sort of caught me off guard because it was very different to like the smooth sort of hip cat kind of vibe going on yeah a lot of those do stick out on the on the scores when you listen to them yeah when it do. gets to the one that's the advert you really notice it the one for the toaster in the first episode the stark tech toaster is a good one uh the one in number three for the hydra hydra hot tub oh that's an absolute banger that one's a good one I yeah love that. yeah so they do they do stick out they're very noticeable they work in that way quite well uh, one last thing for the 60s which which um the, the second episode is the first time where we see something in her world's a bit wrong but mm-hmm. uh, properly like um there's like a there's like a, someone that's like a beaky well i was gonna say the first episode you have the ending where like the guy starts choking and everything sort of starts to break down a bit yeah 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 it's um, pretty strong as well that, yeah too fair yeah and that that music suddenly gets breaks as well like when when the reality breaks the music also gets really tense and horrible mm. As opposed to like the high, the sort of fast and hijinky stuff that goes on before. Yeah. But when like this beekeeper turns up, who turns out to be like a sword agent, um, he like the music gets really like tense and like there's like strings and it's like really ominous and like deep, mm. um, which I thought was cool because it's kind of just the whole thing sort of like the whole. The cinematography changes as well. I know yeah. this isn't a cinematography podcast, but I think, yeah, the music and cinematography almost works in tandem with one another that, yeah, when you have those kind of breakdowns of Wanda's fake reality, and it becomes they see glimpses of or hear glimpses of the real world. It also goes to like a modern, um, uh, presumably a modern camera lens and a modern yeah, yeah. style of shooting. Someone as well. All of a sudden, the shots way more close up and looks more cinematic. And then as soon as as soon as Wanda's kind of faux reality is re-established, it goes back to the classic sitcom two camera sitcom kind of angles. Yeah, 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 yeah. So onto onto probably my favorite favorite episode for music um, is seventies. And so the theme is my favourite, I think, although I'm vastly wearing it thin because I've listened to it too much. Um, so the, the the track name is called We've Got Something Cooking. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like... So this is like the Brady Bunch kind of parody, It's right? the Brady Bunch uh, Partridge Family parody. Yeah. Um, where, yeah, it's like the, the theme is very much kind of like a family band kind of thing. And it's like soft rock, like early 70s soft rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's... And it's got some really nice, like the vocals in it are really nice, and some really nice harmonies. Mm-hmm. Um, There's one thing I think we should we should talk about with these themes is um, obviously Bobby Lopez is an incredible yeah. talent as well, but I think Kristen Anderson Lopez really needs a shout out for her her vocals and her lyrics are excellent. Yes, They're so good. The They're lyrics so are really funny. The lyrics made me laugh. It was some of the best laughs I got in every episode mm. was her lyrics, especially in the early ones. They're so perfectly cheesy. Yeah, and like so spot on, and her vocals are perfect as well. They're so perfect, almost for every era, basically. Like she nails exactly, basically what they sound like. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really, it's really accurate. Well, yeah, and like the, it's it's it's. I think what maybe I think people like about the sitcoms that they're paying homage to. They're so cheesy. They come back around to be fun. Yeah, which I think, which I think a lot of those themes, I think the seventies theme definitely does. It's, yeah, is that is that the one with the one plus one is more than? Oh, one plus one is family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just, and I keep, I keep seeing that line. It's just brilliant. It's excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and then they just, yeah, the, the visuals for that as well is really, <laughs> really fun. When they're on the tandem bikes, yeah. cycling through the town with their terrible seventies hair and stuff. Yeah, it's so good. Um, but yeah, I just think that the theme is so. I think it's my favorite. As a song, like I think it holds up. Like I think the rest, the rest of them, a lot of them, bar maybe the eighties and the nineties, they feel like theme songs. Mm. 
But I feel like the 70s one uh, very much feels like a song that they've taken a snippet out of or they've made it for a thing. Okay. I feel like in this world, there will be like a full version you could listen to on record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the other ones, I don't think so. Okay. I don't know if that... Yeah, no, no, I can see that. Also in that episode, it ends with... Um... Daydream Believer by the Monkeys oh, in episode three, which yeah. is which is a great use of that. I really, that was really well done. So so basically the episode episode three culminates with um, with uh, Monica, yeah. who is has been in to us has been in the hex since uh, we started watching since we started watching the show since the start of episode one, um, and she gets forcefully ejected after confronting Wanda. Something seems to break down a little bit, and she seems to be able to break free of Wanda's control a little bit and starts asking her questions about Ultron and, and Pietro and stuff. And Wanda, yeah, forcefully ejects her from the hex. And uh, as, as she comes crashing out of the hex and, and, and hits the floor outside and rolls and all that, she gets surrounded by military vehicles and soldiers. And the camera sort of pans out as Daydream Believer starts playing to reveal the hex. And we get our first proper look at Westview and it's this huge dome that Wanda's clearly created around the town. And there's a there's military encampment set up all around outside, and they all run to Monica as as Daydream Believer plays, and it's it really um it really feels like it, it really works to kick the episode into gear, like it it will kick the series into gear. I feel yeah yeah that moment like stuff you really get a sense of like okay where where we're at. There's a real oh shit moment. Yeah yeah yeah. Like, I think it's probably my favorite bit of like music to the like pure what we call sync, which is like taking a bit of music and putting it over the top of a scene to make it better or, yeah, or to impact it. is what we call it. Yeah. yeah. I think there obviously there's, there's a track that I thought was a funnier inclusion, but I think that was just like... I, I remember that, I remember just thinking about that scene all week afterwards. It was the thing I thought about. I just thought, that's such a brilliant... Like, that song is very cheesy, but they've made it somehow really dramatic. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Have you made, how have you made the monkeys it feels dramatic? Like, it feels ominous. Yeah. Because I think cause it stands in contrast. Like, once you have the stakes set, and you realise the extent of all of this. Yeah. All of a sudden, it, it makes it ominous because it's this happy piece of music standing in contrast to this kind of, you know, this kind of dramatic scene. And also, obviously, it's kind of the lyrics work with that whole kind of, you know, everyone inside the dome is is believing in. Oh yeah, of course. In, in Wanda's faux reality, so they're the daydream believers, and. And yeah, it's taken. It's taken music that belongs in the hex outside. Yes. So there's that. Yeah. There's, there's disconnect. That yeah. something feels wrong. Yeah. It's a really, really great use of that song. Talking of talking of Monica, some of my favourite stuff. As I said earlier, there's like a they do branch a lot of like the stuff, like the, a lot of the era they go across, and there's a lot of like, to me, she, she puts in performance while she's under the influence in the hex. Mm -hmm. She's basically doing a Foxy, Foxy Brown impression, Brown, yeah. and and as of that, I've noticed in the score, there's definitely a lot of like black exploitation esque pieces of music, mm -hmm. which I thought that's really that's really kind of a cool nod. Yeah. Kind of that funky seventies kind of score, yeah. You know, like the synthesized kind of that funky kind of synthesizer and stuff. Yeah, the sort of sort of um, wild guitar and like it sounds a bit yeah, like Shaft. Yeah, yeah. It sounds a little bit like Shaft. Not to put the obvious one, but like, yeah. Um, well, you did. Yeah, I did. So there <laughs> you go. Um, and also, there's a lot of. Um, I remember them saying that in the documentary, there's a lot of bongos and maracas in this episode, mm -hmm. which then kind of gets me the sort of revolution will not be televised. Oh kind of yeah, vibe. okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that kind of yeah, that kind of beat jazz kind of beat stuff. jazz. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. So then uh, onto the eighties, which is episode four. Oh, mm -hmm. uh, there's no there's no uh, theme for that, which blew my mind. No, there isn't. That. Yeah, so that's the. I mean probably for this reason we're going to talk about this episode a bit less I guess but yeah, yeah. yeah this is the kind of in quotation marks real world episode where we see kind of pre Wanda going into uh, pre um, Monica going into the hex and we get kind of her backstory we get Swords involvement in everything and we get kind of Darcy and all that introduced right yes so that has and not again I think we'll talk about this but all the stuff that isn't the sort of genre period stuff isn't that interesting Mm. Score-wise, personally, yeah. it's very like standard Marvel fare. It's your classic Marvel stuff, yeah. It's like big brassy bits and sort of ominous strings. It's yeah. like it's it's nothing really. Like if you've done any, if you did anything or, or watched anything Marvel, it's it's just that. Yeah. Whatever you're thinking of, it it is just that. In in your in your mind, what you're thinking right now is is right. But mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think it's not really anything really to. Oh, actually, there is one thing of no episode four, which is arguably my favorite. If you if you ask me to name an artist, I think will come up in WandaVision, I'd have quite a few guesses before I came up with Jimi Hendrix. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Voodoo Child, right? Yeah, Voodoo Child's slight return. 
because uh, there's actually two versions of that on mm-hmm. Metric Lady Land. Mm-hmm. Um, not to get all music Nazi on you. Um, so <laughs> Don't use that term. <laughs> That's a horrible term. <laughs> <laughs> we can edit that, that out. Um, so, yeah, um, so at the end, uh, one of the kids are born and she sort of sits must sits on the couch or something with yeah. them. And there's 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 an indication that she's used some kind of dark magic in bringing them into the world or whatever because obviously we don't see Vision and her doing the natural way so it's it's you know and they kind of they get born in like the whole pregnancy is like a day or something yeah yeah so yeah. something's clearly a bit wrong so yeah at the end they use voodoo sharp which is obviously yeah sort of an illusion of voodoo you know like dark magic mm-hmm. which I think it's great but it just took me so by surprise I was like whoa hello it's Jimi Hendrix like this gnarly sort of because it starts like a hot, like grinding guitar riff it's like wow yeah I, this is i don't think they really had a lot, any sync like this previously in marvel no uh, it's quite it's very abrasive yeah just, just to go back a little bit as well which I, I think is one of the interesting things is um we thought we found out from um from uh, uh bobby uh, lopez that um they use uh, an electric harpsichord which is what's called a roxy chord oh, yes, on the know. 60s theme song from episode two um, I did. I did a little bit of reading on the Roxy chord. It's actually really interesting. So it's, so it's spelled rock, is in rock music, C chord, oh, not with an X. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so and and the reason for that is because it was invented in 1967 to be used in like the baroque rock music craze. Oh. And the whole the whole reason was for that is because they wanted to use harpsichord, but an acoustic harpsichord would have been drowned out oh. by the rest of the instruments. Okay. Cool. So so they so a Roxy chord was invented, and it was it's actually the first example of an electric ele- electronic piano. Oh, that's yeah. cool. That's a great bit of information you found there. Mm. And then, so yeah, the '90s episode, mm-hmm. they they get what I think is the, only the second ever uh, appearance of like an artist coming in to do a song specially for the Marvel Universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, uh, Kathleen Hannah from Bikini Kill, yeah, yeah, comes and does uh, their themes, does the vocals on their very very heavily Malcolm in the Middle inspired. 90s thing it's called let's keep it going right? let's keep it going which yeah. is really great on me now and I, hate it. <laughs> I enjoy it i like it but yeah it's a very um if you've listened to bikini kill you know you know what to expect from it really it, it's or just any of those sitcoms with that kind of theme song but it's a good one i like it i think it works really t- really well tonally as well with the kind of evan peters like super rad 90s dude yeah that's kind of persona and stuff um, yeah it's great did you know that um kathleen hannah uh she basically titled Smells Like Teen Spirit. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so she so she wrote on Kurt Cobain's bedroom wall that Kurt Cobain smells like teen spirit in reference to him using this deodorant that was marketed at Teenage Girls. Oh, I think I know about this. Yeah, and so he, he named Smells Like Teen Spirit after... That's after a cool one. Yeah. Get some real, some real good gems here today. Some good uncut gems. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that, the whole, that whole intro is very good. Yeah, and Evan Peters is fantastic. It's like that cool dude, that... That surfer dude, that that skater dude, mm-hmm. yeah, and so I mean the a lot of that score is like I found not to use a term that I'm woefully sort of out of my depth using in the pocket. Okay. Uh, so it's like on the offbeat, like because a lot of ska punk, like American ska punk, is like sort of in that era. Yeah. So yeah, I found yeah. a lot of that, a lot of that, a lot of music there was like in like. This oh, in it. You mean beat. on the score for I mean, the episode? Yeah, I mean on the offbeat. Sorry, yeah, not really yeah. In the pocket. yeah. There's some really, there's some really good little bits of um. A lot of the tracks are really short. And they kind of just punctuate moments, which I really like. There's a track called Chili Con Carne on that, on that score, which is really good. There's like little bits of maracas and stuff like that here and there. And there's like, there's bits where like you kind of almost have like the guitar equivalent of a record scratch. The kind of like where you drag oh. your finger along the string to like kind of punctuate scenes and stuff like it. Yeah, it's a really, very, really good. Very nice. Yeah, it's a really good little bit of score on that. On that. I think that's the last, for me, the last good use of the concept. I'm not really a big fan of the 2000s episode. The Modern Family uh, episode, but yeah, yeah, we, we differ on this, but I, I don't know why, but it, yeah, but well, well, we also, we differ, of, but yeah. yeah, one of the things I do want to mention about the 90s episode as well is that there's a piece of sync in there which I find really funny. There's the track Butterfly, and it's the upswing mix by the band Smile.dk, oh, yeah. who are like a Swedish bubblegum pop band who turned out this absolutely ridiculously intense piece of dance music that was sampled by uh D'Antvert on their song, um. Uh, something something samurai, um, um, but they sample the part that I'm a butterfly. <laughs> oh yeah, no, tell you this, yeah. and uh, yeah, I just I just thought that was a really really good bit of obscure music to use. It's ridiculously intense. Uh, well, well, a couple of other things to mention on the night's episode is that it's the Halloween 
themed episode. Yes, so there's yeah. actually quite a little bit of spooky. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of spooky um, organ and like sort of Adam's family vibes, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was quite a cool thing as well. Like it kind of, and as well, the 90s is kind of one of the first postmodern eras. So actually, I found that in a lot of the score, there was like elements of different eras of music backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you referenced something like there was some bongo stuff in the 70s and there was different stuff. Uh, from the 70s and 80s and whatever mm-hmm. and you think oh that's out of place it's a 90s episode but that's kind of what the 90s and and post that have kind of done they kind of recycled so i think that was quite interesting yeah uh so yeah the last episode we're going to talk about is seven uh and it's the more modern well, more ways than one modern family episode mm-hmm. um so it, the, the main theme's titled wv2000 yeah by one division 2000 by the math club yeah so did you read about the math club as well? i did yeah i love yeah. read about the math club yeah they're kind of interesting like I, a, I kind of a, they were... a score supergroup. Yeah, yeah. I assume they were an actual band. I assume they were like this weird sort of like 2000 synth band. Yeah, but yeah. they weren't. So they were like a supergroup, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I, I mean, supergroups are very kind of loose term because I don't think any of them were particularly famous prior or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're just this kind of yeah. These people have all had experience in score and and stuff like that. And yeah, they all just sort of came together. And I think they're basically for hire. By the looks of it, you can sort of go hire them through their website and stuff like that. But. Yeah, they, it, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I had a little flick through their body of work. Um, what I we differ on this because for some reason I fucking love this. I fucking love this. This twenty. I, I love the. I love the intro in general. I think is brilliant. Like it uh, is good. I yeah, know it's not. I know it's good. not yeah. as good as I think it is, but I don't care. I'm dying on this hill. <laughs> I'm dying on this hill. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's yeah very much documentary style, and it's like it's it's basically if you know the US office, which ninety percent of the population of, of the Western world do. It's basically just a rip-off of the, of, of the office. Mm-hmm. Visuals and music. It's virtually identical. Like, borderline. It's like someone's done a royalty-free version of the office thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I just find it really... I find it really, like... I do really like it. Uh, maybe I'm just basic like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think is... Um, what I think is actually worth noting here uh, is that it has no lyrics in it. Um, and, yes, yeah. Which it's I really short as well. It's, it's the shortest Much by far. Than yeah. The rest, yeah. Which I think is kind of um, in line with the the way that kind of sitcom themes are done nowadays. Yes. They take up very little time in the episode compared to the. Yeah, and there's, there's no need to describe the, what the premise is yeah. or whatever it is, and there's no sort of grand arrangement. It's just like. Yeah. When you can literally Google it and see like the auto come thing Wikipedia summary that just comes up straight away. Yeah, yeah. It summarizes what the show is. Yeah. No need for a, for a three minute title sequence that tells you every. Every character's name and, and their kind of <laughs> their yeah. archetype. Yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, I think uh, ironically the the big touchstone for this episode was Modern Family, and actually they got quite a comparatively long theme song mm. for the era. But yeah, it's very the whole episode is very like an homage to that, and it's one of the weaker episodes. But um, one of the also interesting things that apart from the sort of very like synth heavy intro is they do there's a, there's a kind of a nothing side plot with Darcy and Vision. They go off to this weird circus place, yeah. And there's loads of like polka, like loads of sort of yeah, circus polka yeah. stuff, which I really think is quite cool. Mm. And then obviously in that episode, I guess the big the big thing from that episode, the, the is break the breakout song, obviously, is Agatha all along. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. I'm, spoilers, spoilers. Yeah, I mean, can I can I point out something quite interesting yeah, that yeah. I saw on on IMDb? So on the soundtrack section of that episode of IMDb, right, the the song comes up in the listing, um, and they've the song is titled "It Was Blank All Along," presumably because for people who haven't seen it yet, or when it, when it was listed <laughs> on IMDb, people didn't want you know they didn't want to spoil it for people who yeah, hadn't seen yeah. it. But so hang what, on, but that doesn't make any sense because if you listen to it, but it's also so it's called "It Was Blank All Along." But yeah. what I find funny is that on the the personnel beneath it, it all the names are on it. Kristen Anderson Lopez, yeah, presumably yeah. she worked yeah. on it, obviously. Robert Lopez, yeah, you'd obviously expect him yeah. to work on it. Eric Bradley, Greg Whippy, Jasper Randall, Gerald White, they're the kind of, the you know, the singers on the bateau. And uh, Catherine Hahn. So if you know anything about the cast, it's not really a surprise <laughs> who it was all along. For God's sake, that's... <laughs> that is, they haven't thought that through at all, have they? That, so, I, I guess... They can't get around that. I, I guess it would be like, well, not illegal, but like against. You have to, you have to credit her, surely, through yeah, yeah, yeah. through the through the outlet. So you can't really get around that. Yeah. So, so why? To, it, it was Catherine Hahn all along. Well, yes, yeah, just the actress Catherine Hahn <laughs> just turned up. That that would be that sounds like a um, Family Guy joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's like the. I mean, the, the song charted in the top forty. Yeah. After after it after it um, week after it came out, there's there's a trap version. 
Oh, excellent. Which which is exactly how I you expect it. Yeah, you need to get on the trap version. Uh, it's like it's fun. It's like a f- do it once. My advice: do it once. It's great once. After that, you're like, ah, oh, actually, yeah, this isn't yeah. amazing. But yeah, the trap version is incredible. Yeah, basically, uh, there's a big reveal that the neighbor Agnes is is Agatha, the uh, an evil witch from the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do kind of an anti-hero, an anti-hero, yeah, anti-hero in the comics, but more, just more of a straight-up villain at the moment in the in the show. Yeah, uh, and she and they do what I'm a big fan of. They do like an impromptu mid, they do a mid. Um, oh yeah. They do a mid episode um, new theme. So like, yeah, it's like like a new show started in the middle of the show. Yeah, yeah, very kind of monsters, Adam's family style. I think we we she speaks about it, doesn't she? Kristen Anderson Lopez. It's got that really kind of low end sax. That kind yeah. of roaring, almost Louis yeah. Armstrong kind of kind of sax that's used on a lot of that sort of stuff. It's very, it's very. I thought very cabaret. I can imagine, like, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In like even if even they went slightly it's further, extremely camp. Yeah, you have it. You can have it almost on a stage doing it, like yeah. with like with like a boa and like dancers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in in the in the um, actual show, they just have do it like a. What technically actually is kind of like Rocky Horror as well. I could imagine. Oh, very Rocky Horror. That's yeah. a great shout. Yeah. Um, but it's just her doing all like what she was doing all along did fingers for that um, <laughs> but it, I mean not really worth dwelling on but it, yeah, it turns out it wasn't actually her all along but but anyway um, yeah so it's it's yeah it's really kind of like it's kind of very sassy and sort of like like girl about town sort of mm, thing owning your bad side um, yeah yeah all of that um, and there's a bit I never picked up on before which was dark. was it piano or harpsichord or something that plays over yes, the yes there's a heart, yeah, harpsichord yeah. I think yeah just doing like the rapid kind of chord stabs yeah yeah but yeah there's a corner response bit in that which is great that yeah. like, really like which i think is quite subtle and that obviously like i guess you can say it's very softly feminist in that like they're kind of subservient to her as the woman like, yeah, the group okay. of men, yeah, like yeah 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 and i think Kristen anderson lopez touches on that as well it's kind of like almost like weirdly empowering yes she, she talks about kind of it, it yeah like we mentioned earlier it's kind of that embrace embracing your bad self kind of thing like it's you know power to the sisters being being their bad selves and stuff like that it's kind of that camp campy kind of fun yeah kind of although yeah i have to admit like the i i, I mean it's been in both our heads continuously since the episode it's it's very very catchy and it's like yeah it's been i mean it was so big that some of the actors went back like Catherine Hahn did a new round of interviews on the song itself yeah yeah um but i have to say again I, 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 going up to a point we made right at the beginning about how the sort of genre elements kind of are a little bit at odds with like the narrative mm. and how they kind of impinge on each other. I found when they kind of scuppered her as a character, I feel like that song lost a lot of its mu- a lot of its sort yes. of a lot of its sort of because a it turns out it wasn't her all along, mm-hmm. so it doesn't quite that that doesn't quite hit as hard. And also, as a villain, she's pretty weak. It turns out she's yeah. like a pretty sort of weird sort of very throwbacky cackly villain. Yeah. So the whole the whole idea of that, I think, the whole idea of the song is like oh shit she's she's like she's capable of a lot of things because she's been playing the role and she's suddenly burst out she's suddenly the evil villain what's she capable of mm. and it turns out not a great deal yeah so it, it kind of loses that like having sort of the the sort of hit the big i am here i am the evil queen it's like we're well, not really because you're kind of shit <laughs> yeah yeah no that's a good point but yeah i think that's that's basically the bulk of the music from the show really and the and the soundtrack and the score. I think one one last thing that I am interested to talk about is kind of the um the motif. So so oh, there's yeah, so there's this particular motif that rocks up on um on every every kind of theme and I think it's even in Agatha all along and it, it's used at the there's an altered version of it at the very end of the episode as well when when like the kind of in, when the credits are rolling. So it's yeah it's this little motif that rocks up in every song. Um and it's a the motif is built basically around a tritone, which in music is often referred to as the devil's interval. Um, so it basically works as if you have any kind of rudimentary knowledge of, of music theory or anything, it's it's the, the motif is basically an A note to an A note an octave down and then up to an E flat and then resolves with an E. Um, so the devil's interval, the tritone is, is basically six half steps on a piano. So if you visualize piano keys um, and each step is like, white key to black key to white key to black key to white key white key black key white key black key white key kind of thing um so that each one of each one of those is a half step and so the the a to e flat is six half steps and then the e flat up to the other a an octave up is six half steps as well because you have 12 notes in an octave so yeah it's 
basically that that kind of um the devil's interval the tritone um was for a long time avoided in music um so the the latin term for it is diabolus in musica um which is the term that was applied to the interval since when some believe to be the late middle ages um where the church and music theorists who were often members of the church themselves um believed that the that that interval invoked the devil and kind of like evil in music. Oh, okay. Um, and there's there's some really fanciful stories I found online of kind of um, kind of almost hearsay of like singers in the church being excommunicated or even punished more severely for for using it. Um, okay. And regardless of the of the uh, you know kind of accuracy or, or believability of that, it was avoided for a long time in in music. It wasn't until uh, Baroque and classical composers came along. And they started to use it, but they, even they were kind of scared of using it in a way. They used it in a very controlled way. Um, so they basically came along and subscribed to the um, the tonal system, which is basically a, f- a form of musical grammar. It's the way you write out your music kind of thing. So like a lot of different composers from different eras will use kind of different systems. And so, yeah, the, the, the Baroque and, and classical composers use the tonal system. And um, so the way they would use the interval is, is through kind of the principle of tension and release or tension and resolve. So you have that kind of... A A E flat E kind of thing. So it's like that. The 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 A the the lower A to the E flat kind of brings this tension, and that that's what the church and and kind of those earlier oh, Middle okay. Ages composers believed kind of invoked that evilness because it's not that kind of it's not that perfect kind of what you call a perfect fifth or a perfect fourth where it's got that kind of almost that regalness that holiness to it. It's a complete sound. It, it's it's what they call a restless interval. So it, so it doesn't have that completeness to it and it doesn't have that kind of pureness to it. And that's what they believed was kind of evil or like the devil in the music kind of thing. Okay. So when the classical composers started using it, they, they would they would basically use it to increase, like to basically bring tension and then they would resolve it. And so you can see that in the motif with the with the natural E after the E flat brings that kind of it, it's from that kind of tonal system mechanism of, of tension and release or tension and resolve. So you have the the, the A to the A. Then the devil's interval from the A, the lower A to the E flat, and then it resolves with the E. Uh, so yeah, like basically the it works in kind of like a meta sense because uh, obviously the show is like kind of there's there's this very disconcerting, and it's kind of happy go lucky and stuff, and and but it has that kind of tension beneath it, yeah, and, yeah, and it yeah. also has that kind of almost that vibe of like that kind of creeping evil. Oh yeah, very good. And yeah. so I feel like, in a meta sense, it's really it was really clever of of Bobby Lopez to use that in that way because the motif is in everything, and and it's that it's that slight tension, the musical tension mirrors that kind of actual tension and that actual sense of slight disconcert and kind of tone in the show itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I thought that was a really really cool little uh, little cool cool little thing worth mentioning from him. So um, just to wrap up, uh, I would say. Splitting it into two as we did at the beginning, uh, just to go over it. Yeah, I think an excellent, an excellent exercise and uh, experiment in genre TV. Mm-hmm. It, not just genre TV, multiple genre. You got superhero, sitcom, and I guess uh, off kilter tech detective show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All those three things <laughs> laid on top of each other, which, given their ambition, they did pretty well. Um, I just think that in the end. Their ambitions got a little bit of the better of them in terms of narrative, but in terms of like the things that you know, the things that matter in this podcast, the music was excellent. Mm-hmm. Like I would say, uh, I would say score wise, I would say it's the most impressive because of the range. Yeah. Of any Marvel property, I mean, mm-hmm. they're strong with soundtracks. Obviously, you're not going to quite get up with the big boys with Guardians and Black Panther, but yeah. But yeah, I but think, not a bad, not a bad attempt. But not a bad attempt at all. Cle- um, clearly, the soundtrack was neglected because of the strength of the score and the main themes and stuff. They didn't need to lean yeah. on the soundtrack in that way. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and because it was so inappropriate, if you they don't, I don't think score and soundtrack was such a soundtrack. Sorry, was such a big thing back in the day, so you wouldn't have had it. Yeah. But yeah, um, what are yours, Prentice? Uh, yeah, and no, I completely agree. Yeah, I basically basically exactly what you're saying. Um, I'm just disappointed that dupe didn't rock up I know everyone wanted uh, Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Strange but I just I just wanted me a bit of dupe oh do you not know who dupe is I don't know who dupe is okay uh, well I can give you a little bit of a, a rundown I can ask you some questions about who, who dupe is and give you kind of a vibe of who this character is I feel like I should know who dupe is the way you're asking me this question so uh, so what would you say dupe is most similar to is he most similar to a green potato a purple shield or a blue hammer a uh, blue hammer Green potato. Oh, uh, how many superpowers does he have? Two, four, or six? Six. Yes, correct. Yeah. Uh, who do you think Dupe was created by? The US government, the Cree, or Baron Mordo? 
The US government? Yep. In the Cold War. He was a Cold War <laughs> super weapon. Green potato with six superpowers. Uh, he held what position in the superhero team Ecstatics? He was their transport, their cameraman, or their chef? Their cameraman. He was their cameraman. <laughs> and he's also their transport occasionally too. God, what uh, is How many brains does Doop have? Two, six, or ten? Six. No, he has two. Uh, the extra one's in his butt. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, one time his normal brain in his head exploded and got scattered across Earth, and he swapped out into his butt brain and it allowed him to speak English. Normally he speaks Doop. Uh, and his butt brain allows him to speak English. This? Uh, in 2001, several websites claimed to have deciphered Doopspeak, his language. How long would it be before Marvel actually revealed a true translation to Doopspeak? Four years. 13 years later, 2014. God. No one was asking for it, but we got <laughs> it. Uh, and in, un- in the Marvel Universe, what is Doop's action film called that he's the lead star of? Dooped again or something? No, Doop Do- Hard. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, okay, well, it's a shame he didn't rock up. Yeah, I, I'm severely disappointed, to be honest. Um, <laughs> good show overall, but fuck you, Marvel. You didn't include <laughs> Dupe, so. You've been listening to Sink or Swim, a podcast by Prentice Mitchell and Jules Pistano. If you want more from the pod, you can find us at Sink or Swim Pod, all one word, on Instagram and YouTube, and you can find us at Sink or Swim on Facebook. To get in touch, please send us an email at sinkorswimpod at gmail.com. You can listen to this pod wherever you find your podcasts, with full episodes and clips going up on YouTube at a later date as well.